It's wonderful to see everybody here this morning. We want to welcome you. We do have a number of visitors here, and we are really excited that you're here. I want to thank everyone for their presence, your presence here. Your singing this morning has certainly uh, strengthened and edified me. We want to welcome those uh, that are with us on Zoom, and we also thank you for, for taking part in our service this morning also. I'm very thankful for the prayer on my behalf. It's uh, certainly my prayer that the things that I, that I have to present this morning uh, will be helpful to you as they have been helpful to me in the study. Uh, if you're not accustomed to coming on Wednesday nights, uh, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Uh, we've, we've had uh, some wonderful lessons. Uh, this last Wednesday, we had two lessons on faith uh, by uh, Brother Kelton and Brother Mark. And uh, I'm going to continue uh, the faith theme uh, this morning. But it's uh, great on those Wednesday nights to get together and worship and, and to see the development of our young people and, and have that break from the world midweek to come focus and, and get ready to, to finish the rest of the week. So I'd encourage you to do that. But going to uh, build, uh, hopefully, on uh, the lessons that we heard Wednesday night from, from Kelton and Mark. The just shall live by faith. Uh, this uh, phrase is quoted a couple of times uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, one in the book of Hebrews, and then a couple of times by the Apostle uh, Paul. Uh, so we know that that phrase, the book of Habakkuk, and uh, that's the way that I'm pronouncing it. <laughs> I did look it up, and uh, I didn't agree with the pronunciation. So, <laughs> so uh, we're going to go with mine, and hopefully you'll, you'll go with me go with me too. But we're going to start off by looking at the book of uh, Habakkuk. Uh, it is a short book of, of three chapters, and we're going to give a summary of that so that we can kind of see where, uh, that, where that phrase, that quote comes from, the just shall live by faith. So in the book of Habakkuk, uh, it's a time when uh, Judah uh, was in trouble. Uh, Judah was not following God. Uh, they were uh, disobeying. And when the children of, of uh, Israel, when they disobeyed God, bad things happened. Um, they were told that that would happen. When good things happen, they'd be blessed. But when they do bad things and disobey, uh, you know, it would be difficult. And now is a very difficult time for Judah in the fact that, they've, uh, that justice has, has pretty much disappeared from the land. Uh, the disobedience has caused them all this trouble. Uh, after this and during this time and after this, uh, the uh, Chaldeans are, are going to take over. That's going to be a time of, of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of those stories that you remember, that would be during this time when, uh, when they're in bondage. Uh, so some rough times are coming and they're in a rough time now uh, because of their disobedience. We'll begin uh, by reading uh, the first uh, verses 2 through 4. Says the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. So the prophet has a couple of questions that he's going to ask God as he has this discussion with, with God. And uh, he's, he's crying to God that, you know, why, why are you indifferent? 
why do you see all this evil uh, from Judah? He names four things. Violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering. There's no respect for the law of God. And he says, but, but you're not doing anything. You're just, you just seem to be indifferent. You know, why? Why, God? Why are you allowing all this? And then in the, in the next verses, verses 5 uh, through verse 11... Uh, we have God's response. God's response to the first question, the first complaint that Habakkuk has. And God's response is that he would send the Chaldeans to judge Judah. The Chaldeans are going to march through. They're going to take over Judah. They're going to take over a lot of, a lot of countries, a lot of nations. They're going to be the leading power. They're basically going to take over the, the new world, the, the, the world as uh, the known world. Uh, uh, the Babylonian reign uh, would, would begin. It's going to be a bad time. Uh, in these verses, God calls them terrible and dreadful and fierce. So this is not a good thing for Judah, but it is going to be God's judgment. And then verse 6, he says, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And then in verses 12 through 17, Habakkuk comes with his second question, or a second complaint, if you would. And he wants to know why, why, why not judge, uh, why don't you judge your people? Why, don't, uh, why do you use a nation that's even less righteous than Judah to judge Judah? Why people that are sinners, in their mind, you know, even worse sinners than, than what the trouble that Judah's doing. Why would you use these evil people to judge your people? And, and it, it's not making any sense for Habakkuk. Verse 13, he says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Again, he, he doesn't understand and he, and he wants understanding. In the second chapter, God responds to this second question. And he tells them that he will judge the Chaldeans also. He'll, things are going to be bad on them eventually. And the prophet knows really before even God answers, and he knows that God is right. It reminds me a lot of Job in that, in that Job you know, eventually began to question God you know, about some of why some of the things were... We're, we're going on, but yet Job, you know, ends up being very humble and, and worshiping God and knows that God is right, and this prophet knows the same thing. In chapter 2 and verse 1, the, uh, the prophet says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So it's like he's answering these questions, but, he, but even, even asking these questions, he's a prophet. He knows God is right. And he knows whatever answer God comes up with is going to be correct, and he's going to be corrected. And he, you know, and he's, he's nervous about this. So in chapter 2, we see God's second response. Verse 4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Here God compares the evil with the good, the unrighteous with the righteous. And yet this is also a... Uh, uh, a prophecy of what will come when faith will be, in, be what is important. Not a matter of just keeping the particulars 
of the law, but faith. What's in your heart? Your obedience to God and the things that he says will become important. And this is where we, we take our quote. And that, uh, the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews takes the same quote uh, to use in the New Testament writings. Here God, uh, God says that the proud... Is, will be punished. He says, behold the proud. He's not upright, but the opposite of that are going to be those that live by faith. And that's going to be who is just. Also, he tells them, through, um, back in chapter 2, he also tells them, I want you, as, as I'm telling you what I'm going to do with the Chaldeans, I want you to write it down. Because you're going to see, and those that are after you are going to see that the things that I say are true. And then again, he goes on to compare the, the evil uh, with the just. And then he gives five woes that will be put on the Chaldeans. And this is how God will judge them. And then we move on to, to chapter uh, 3. And again, like Job, uh, the prophet Habakkuk is humbled and he asks for mercy uh, through the coming trouble. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk looks at this and he says, You know, I've heard you. I've heard you, God. I know this is going to happen. And, but I ask you, as these years come, as these difficult years come, as we have to face this bondage and all the bad that's going to come with it, we're asking for your mercy. In wrath, please remember us and remember mercy. And then in verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk, uh, in his prayer to God, he praises God. You know, something that we should always do uh, when, we, when we pray to God. And part of this, uh, beginning in verse 10, uh, Habakkuk prays and he says, The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still on their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, your salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah. So he goes on and then many other verses that again, if you, if you compare it with Job, a lot of just the, the all-in all things of, of God's power that we can see. And he, and he praises God. And then in verse 16, we see his humility. It says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at his voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to his people, he will invade them with his troops. So again, again, it reminds me of Job after he had heard God and God had put Job in his place and he's very humbled and awed by God. And here we see the same thing. So Habakkuk had received God's answer. God would judge the wickedness, but there is hope. And as we, as we read in chapter 2 and verse 4, there is hope. Ultimately, there would be a restoration of repentant people. 
And though Habakkuk is terrified of the invasion of the Chaldeans that's coming and the difficulty that's going to follow that, he could rest. He said that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. The prophet could still find rest in the day of trouble and ask for that, knowing that God would judge righteously. Then in verses 17, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk knows and says, you know, if everything that is normal, that is predictable, um, that is good, that is securing, if all that's gone, if all that collapses, he says, I'll still rejoice. In Deuteronomy 28, we can, we can read about how God, you know, promised His children that there will be blessings when you obey, there will be cursings when you disobey. But again, here in Habakkuk, even though they've, they've been disobedient and bad things are going to happen and they're going to be judged, and if all this fails and it's just terrible, everything falls apart, everything's gone, there will be difficult days, his joyful desire would be for God himself. Verse 19, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So God's response to the prophet's question prompted the wrath of God, but he also gives assurance of God's favor, of his favor and the hope that there will be. Security and hope are not based on the blessings. And Habakkuk realized that in his humility. He said, if all the crops fail and we lose the herds and all these horrible things, nothing that's good is left. The just shall live by faith. Like the sure-footed deer, on the rugged mountains. If you've ever seen a deer or maybe saw videos, especially I'm, a, I'm amazed at those mountain goats that on a rugged, it just looks like vertical, vertical cliffs, yet they jump from what looks like not even a step, yet they can go from place to place and up these rugged and, and vertical, vertical cliffs because they're sure-footed. He says, the Lord is my strength and will make my feet like the deer's feet. It's God that makes us sure. The prophet's faith in God would enable him to endure the coming hardships of the uh, invading Chaldeans. And his want for understanding will come someday. So we see this thing. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
There's a difference between people who live by faith and people who do not live by faith. There's a difference in the people that are righteous because of the blood of Christ and those that are unrighteous and live in unrighteousness. We are crucified with Christ. When we obey the gospel, we are crucified with Him. We have to put to death the flesh and live a different life. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, in verse 5, it says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith working through love. Faith is work. Faith is action. Faith is something that, that's seen in our lives. Faith is not just a confession. Faith is not just a feeling that we have in our heart. Faith is an action. And faith works. And it works through love. We're reminded, we're reminded of what uh, Christ said was the greatest commandments. To love God and to love others. In 1 John, we can read those, uh, those books and read so much about love and how love and loving Christ is by loving other people and that being seen in our life. That's how we show our faith is the love that we have for other people and the actions that that spurs us to do. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's think about that a minute. Paul's writing to the Romans. In Rome, probably the most proudful, uh, powerful, and evil nation on the earth at that time, Yet the church is there, and he's writing to the church. And even though there's great tribulation, there's, there's danger, there's evil kings, there's people that want to just completely wipe out Christianity. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it's the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes. Verse 17, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written... The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Not just a single event, but a way of life. It's how that we live. It's what people should see in our lives. And it should go from faith to faith to faith. We are blessed in this congregation and have for a long time to see faith passed on from generation to generation. Parents, they teach your children. Children grow up to obey the gospel. They grow up and teach their children. And we continue to see this. But not only with our families. We need to be sharing that gospel with other people. Our faith needs to be extended to other people so that their faith can become reality. That's the hope of the gospel. And that should be what drives us. And we should never be ashamed of that gospel but be prepared and ready to spread that gospel. And to do that, we have to live by faith. That's part of living by faith, is spreading that gospel to the world. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Substance means foundation. So faith is the foundation of things hoped for. You know, when you think about hope, and hope and wishing are, are, are completely different things. When you think about something that you hope for, that's something that you expect to happen. You expect to happen. And that's our faith. And the foundation of that is, is we know that the promises of God have happened, and the ones in the future are going to happen. And the evidence of things not seen. You know, when we think of evidence, we think of things that are seen. You know, who ate all the Cheetos? Well, it's one with all the orange stuff on their, on their fingers. But you know, the evidence of, of faith is things that are not seen. But the way that we live our lives, that's the evidence. That's the evidence of things not seen. That eternal perspective that the children of God have is the evidence. And we need to live by it. We need to live by faith. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 51, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So faith leads us to work. Faith and that hope that we have that there's going to be a future resurrection. One of these days, that trumpet is going to blow. Everyone is going to know. And everybody, our bodies are going to be changed. Those that are dead are going to rise first and be joined with Christ in the air. Those that are living are going to be changed. Everybody, dead and alive, is going to have a body that's different. A new body. A body that's made for eternity. An eternity in heaven for the righteous or an eternity in hell for the unrighteous. Either way, we will have a body that's changed that's going to be forever. And that should, per, that should uh, cause us to live in such a way. Therefore, Therefore means because of all this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because of that resurrection, we need to be abounding. Abounding means very plentiful. It means abundant. Good works are not always very plentiful for me. And that's generally when I'm thinking about myself. 
if I've got the mind of thinking about others, I see those opportunities to be helpful to people. I'm looking for those opportunities to be helpful to other people. I'm looking for opportunities to influence the lives of other people for the best. But when I'm thinking about myself, I'm not always abounding. But we should be because we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. When the mind is right, I do those things. When it's not, I don't. So I need to keep my mind. Colossians, the third chapter, beginning in verse 1. If then, when you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We need to set our minds on things above. You know, as a compass points north, a Christian's thought processes should, should point towards heaven. Should point towards the hope that we have of eternity after this. If all we have is this, what a disappointment. But we don't. We have an eternity in heaven with God and with Christ. And that should drive our thought processes. Heavenly thoughts come by understanding heaven realities, and these are our heavenly realities. And it should drive us. So as your life is hidden with Christ and God. Hidden here means concealed. When I thought of this, I just thought about a big old blanket. You know, maybe when you're a kid and you're trying to hide from somebody or, or something and you got this blanket over you and it's just completely concealing you and protecting you and you're separated from everything else. That's the way our life should be with Christ and God. Hidden with Him. Concealed in Him. Separated from everything else. Romans, the 12th chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. We need to be transformed. We have to be different from the world, not conformed. And the more we get involved in this world, the more I think about myself and just the stuff in this life, I'm conforming, not transforming. When I'm able to, to think about others and think about my service to God and whatever, and put me on the back burner, that's being transformed. Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 3. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We need to have a mind of Christ, not what the top verse says. Not let our selfish ambition and conceit 
put ourselves first. We have to think of ourselves way down that list. Love of God, love others, the two greatest commandments. And when we have this mind, then faith is going to be seen in our life because it's going to spur us to action. It's going to spur us to service. It's going to spur us to abounding in the work of the Lord. Verse 12 says, Therefore, because of all that, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We've got to let God go to work in our lives. Do things that are maybe a little uncomfortable. Do things that maybe get us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Whether it be uh, in, our, in our service to the church, whether it be out in the world and the way that we behave with other people and abounding in good works and being more helpful to people and more present to the things that's going on around us. That's God working in us, and we need to allow Him to work. And not only for His good pleasure, but it becomes our will that we want to do this. As we are transformed, as we mature spiritually, this happens in our lives. What does it look like? In James, the first chapter, beginning in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The difficulties that we face bring about spiritual maturity. If everything is easy, there would be no need for faith. If everything was absolutely great here, we wouldn't even be thinking about heaven and longing for heaven. Because everything's great here. But it's not. And we face some terribly difficult trials in our lives. All of us do. But when we remain faithful to God and we allow that to grow our faith, we become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And of course, that's talking about spiritual things. Lacking nothing spiritually. Because of all that other stuff doesn't matter and we can focus on our service to God and our faith. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6, says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We want peace. Everybody wants peace. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you want peace. You want to be happy. You want to feel good. You want to be secure. But outside of God, you can't have any of that. But with God, we can. Even though as Habakkuk acknowledged and all that stuff went away and things are just terrible, I'll still seek you. 
You will be my joy. God, be anxious for nothing, but go to Him and be thankful. Be thankful for the blessings that we have. If we lose everything in this life, all our possessions, if we lose our family, you know the greatest things? The greatest things is what Christ has done for us. His sacrifice, the hope that we have of a home in heaven. That's what really matters with, that, with uh, an eternal perspective. That's why when we go to Him, we go to Him in thanksgiving, no matter. And let our request be made known to God, and we can have peace. We can have peace. In verse 9, when we do those things, the God of peace will be with you. And isn't that what we want? It looks like service in our lives. In James 2, beginning in verse 14. Kelton talked about this Wednesday night. So what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is going to show up in our, in our lives. If we live by faith, okay, living, that's an active thing. It's something that we're doing in our life. And if we're not doing things in our service to God and showing our love, faith through love, as we read earlier, and how's that faith going to be seen? What's the evidence of it in our lives? It should spur us to serve. In Titus, the second chapter, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Okay? Live differently. Avoid sin. Avoid the godlessness that we see in this country and in the world today. Avoid those things. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. Again, that's what our faith, that's the substance, the foundation of our faith. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Christ did the hard part. He did the suffering. He shed the blood so that he could purify for himself a peculiar people. Purified. Now, we've all sinned. And we continue to stumble from time to time for living in this earth. But we're purified. We're His own special people and we need to live like it. Zealous of good works. Zealous means filled with or showing a strong energetic desire. Do we have a strong energetic desire for good works? Are we looking for opportunities? We should be. In Mark, the ninth chapter, Christ said, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
If just a cup of water, we can bring honor to Christ, we can help somebody, then we need to do those things. And I want to encourage everyone here, do what you can. If you can come to the service, come to the service. You're strengthening to me. You're edifying and you're singing, your involvement in the service, that you love God and you're here. That's important. Do that. Maybe you're, you're one of the brothers in the, in the church and you'd like to, maybe you want to grow a little bit. Maybe you want to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe you've never led songs and you want to learn how to do that. Ask, ask any number of these guys how to do it. I'm not a great song leader, but I'll, I'll show you the Craig Settler School of Song Leading. and I don't know all that stuff, but I'll, I'll generally get a pitch that the congregation can straighten out and I can keep time. And I can show you how to do that if you want to do it. Let's work on it. Maybe you want to get more involved in maybe the prayers of the service or, or in communion. You haven't done that in the past. Brother Mark Hayes keeps up with all that. Let him know that you want to do more. And then ask any of these brothers to help you. If you're nervous about giving a public prayer, we'll study that out and, and look at it and, and help prepare you so that you can give a public prayer if you'd like to do that. If you want to start um, working on lessons, let somebody know. We would love to, any number here would love to study with you and help you get to preparing those things. And you start off on those Wednesday nights like we see the development of, uh, you know, of, our, of our young men always. Get involved in those things. What can you do? Even the little things that you can do make a difference. You ladies, we have some tremendous ladies that serve God so dutifully here. And we have older, men, older women that are teaching younger women. Now, Sammy and I have been greatly blessed by a lot of the young women here the last couple of years that are being taught by the younger ones to, to go out and serve those, help those other people that need help, and do some things that you can do. Maybe you want to visit the sick, but you're not comfortable with that. Again, ask somebody. Go visit the sick with them and learn how to do that. Become more comfortable with that. What can we do? Get out of our comfort zone a little bit. And you know if we all do that, you know what the church would do? We would just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And the momentum would go. And mark the second chapter. We have a story of the paralyzed man beginning in verse 4. It says, And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Hopefully we remember this story. This was used in a lesson not, not too long ago. But what did these guys do? They picked up the mat... They picked up the mat and they got that man to Jesus because they knew Jesus had what they needed. There's a world full of lost that need Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know, you know that they need Jesus. And you know that you have what they need. And we need to live by faith. Faith to faith to faith to faith. We need to share that gospel with others. 
Maybe you can just invite somebody to church. We have a meeting here that's going to be starting here this next month. I want to encourage all the members here. Invite someone. And think about who you can invite. Maybe think about who you've been an influence on. I've got four on my list right now. One that I just keep getting in religious conversations with, and I'm going to do my best to try to try to get them to come to church. Some others that have visited in the past, and I want them, I want them to come back. Who's on your list? Who can you get on your list? Who can you invite? And if you're uncomfortable with doing that, we're going to have our spring work. Get those lists to one of the brethren so we can get them on the list and somebody else will go invite them. If just a cup of water will be rewarded. Let's pick up our mat and let's get somebody to Christ. John, the fourth chapter, is, tells us the story of the Samaritan woman. And we're not going to go through all that, but we remember the conversation that Jesus had. He was thirsty and he went to this well, and the Samaritan woman was there getting water. Christ began a conversation, and he started telling the woman about living water. And she went out and started telling everybody else about Jesus. Get, let's try to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Sometimes it's just elevating the conversation. We all have conversations with people every day, people that we work with, friends, family. And we keep it at a low level. We never get too deep. We never get into religion. We never get there. Let's elevate the conversation. Let's take those opportunities that we have and let's spread that gospel from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. I hope the lesson has been edifying to you this morning. And I hope it spurred you as it has spurred me to allow that faith to be seen in my life. And that faith to help us in two ways. Number one, it's going to help us in difficult times, through difficult life, in a difficult world. It'll get us through. Because we have that eternal perspective, that hope that is the foundation of faith. And number two, that it'll make us zealous of good works because of a faith we have in God. The lesson is yours this morning. If there are those that have been taught the gospel and you'd like to be obedient to that this morning, we invite you to come forward. You can come forward and you can confess Christ before this audience. You can repent of your past life and you can be buried with Him in baptism. And you can leave here knowing that you are a child of God. There may be those that have, done, that have done that, but you have another need in your life and you'd like to ask for the prayers of the church. We'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.